A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. To Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode has been generously sponsored by 20 Minute Daf. 20 Minute Daf is a clear, concise sheer given by Rav Shol Greenwald with a clarity perfect for people who are short on time or looking for a quick review of the day's Daf. The sheer, it's called the 20 Minute Daf, and unlike me, he actually sticks to that. It never gets past 22, 23, tops 25 minutes. And, um, you know, uh, I can personally vouch uh, for it. I, I'm a Dafyomi participant, and it's very enjoyable. He's clear. I find it very useful. Um, Dafyomi this coming week is starting uh, Psachim, so it's a new Masechta for all of those who gave up during Erevin and fell out of the cycle and want to get back into it, Sipsachim is the perfect opportunity. So you can join 20 Minute Daf by subscribing on all podcast platforms or join the WhatsApp group at 20minutedaf.com. So I highly recommend that you join me and many other uh, users in this fantastic shear. Tonight's um, is the yard site of Rab Aaron Cutler, the great uh, legendary Torah leader, uh, Kletzk Rosh Yeshiva, the Lakewood Rosh Yeshiva, an uh, incredible person, so much to talk about. And since it's his yard site, we'll have a short uh, mini-series, uh, probably, you know, besides for tonight, we'll try to have another one or two, we'll see how it goes. Um, speak a little bit about tonight about Rabbi Aaron Cutler's early years, and we'll try to get to other aspects of his life and leadership in other episodes. Last year, we did have another one on, on his activism. Um, perhaps I'll have what to say about that as well. I just want to, before I get to Rabaran Cutler, I want to uh, just read a few, a lot of this, the episode I just had on Rav Gustman, Rav Yisrael Zav Gustman, just the other day, um, generated an enormous uh, response. So I just want to choose a few. There's apparently a a, I guess it was an omission on my part. Was, uh, everyone was complaining that I did not mention the story of Rav Gusman watering the plants. Um, and some said, oh, if you didn't say it, then it must not be true. Um, that's not why I didn't say it. So first of all, what's the story? The story was 
that uh, when Rav Gusman was hiding in the forest during the war, he uh, sustained himself simply, you know, by like most most anyone who survived during the war in the forest by eating plant life, different grasses and plants. And uh, he had even been advised by Rav Chaim Moizy before the war about uh, which plants are edible, which are poisonous, and he used that knowledge uh, to save his, his himself and his family during the war, that sometimes he didn't have anything else to eat except for uh, simple plants in the forest. And as a gratitude to the plant life which had sustained him, so he used to water personally, he had, he had a garden, and the in fact the Chavatzelet house where he bought in Rechavia, that in the yeshiva, he bought it, that house, it also had a garden in that in that uh, in the courtyard, and he he wanted it to have a garden, and so he should have plant plants there, and he himself would personally water it as hakaras as gratitude. So it's a true story. It's definitely a true story, as far as I know. All the sources bring it. Um, the reason I did not say it because I assumed that it was so famous and so well known that you don't need me to relate it. But everyone complained and kvetched. Um, and uh, like I said, some even suspected that uh, perhaps the omission is uh, is saying it's not true. So I just wanted to clarify that it's definitely a true story and it's an amazing story. Um, one one listener even wanted to compare Rav Gusman to Moshe Rabbeinu. He said Moshe Rabbeinu had gratitude to the sand, didn't want to hit the sand because it helped him hide the Egyptian who he had killed, he had personally killed. And Rav Gusman he had gratitude to the plants when he was hiding in the forest and he was killing German Nazis uh, 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 as a partisan. So it was a comparison of Rav Gusman to Moshe Rabbeinu. Interesting uh, comparison. Either way, um, so we'll go on to another couple of letters here. Um, one another letter writer uh, responded, actually it wasn't even a letter writer, he was so upset about it, he had to give me a, a phone call. He said, how did you not cry when relating the stories about Rav Gusman during the war and losing his child? He said, "When you, how, could, how could a person not cry? So I have to admit that uh, I guess I'm a bit heartless. I didn't cry, or I was just totally engaged in relating the story. But it's a, you know, it's a good question. When we hear such stories, we have to cry. Um, another, another letter writer submitted an interesting story. I quote, he was learning in the same base medrash as Rav Gustman, and he had a question on the sugya. He went to ask Rav Gustman. The latter was deep in his writings, so he gave my Rebbe a quick answer. A few minutes later, my Rebbe had another question. When he went over to ask, Rav, Gus- Rav Gustman told him, Junger man, ich bin schicker jetzt mit mein eigene Bronfen. I'm currently drunk with my own uh, whiskey. In other words, I mean, you know, he was involved. He didn't want to be disturbed. He's involved, completely absorbed with his own writings, and he's coming to Hakachainik with his questions. And uh, Rav Gusman, uh, it's a funny story. Either way, um, then this is another clarification that's needed. Important clarification. Someone asked me the following question today: What does it mean that the Chabina Rav passed away? I'm sorry. What does it mean that the Chabina Rav suggested to Rav Gusman to buy a building in Rechavia? If the Chabinarov passed away a good few years before Rav Gusman came to Eretz Yisrael, that is an excellent question, and I meant to say this. I thought I even had it in my notes. I guess I inadvertently omitted it. 
But Rav Gusman came on a pilot trip in 1964 to Israel to seek options of transferring the yeshiva there. And that's when he consulted with Shabina Rav, who passed away in 1965. Rav Gusman himself was only able to move and transfer the yeshiva several years later in 1971. So that's how it works out. So we move uh, over to um, today's uh, um, um, yard site, Rav Aaron Cutler, and we're going to focus on his early years today, uh, talk about a little bit about the title of this episode is The Origins of Greatness, uh, because, you know, he's destined uh, for greatness from birth, and uh, I can't have any other thought other, otherwise, because I don't want to be uh, banned. Um, and and um, so, Reb, Reb Aaron Cutler, we had, I had an episode about him last year, on, also on the art site, about his activism. Um, and talked about the different, uh, you know, he was a mentor to many activists in the United States, uh, the communal activists, Askanim, Irving Bunim, and later his son Amos Bunim, Reb Moshe Sherer of the Agudas Yisrael, Marvin Schick, who just passed away recently, the famous philanthropist, uh, philanthropist, uh, uh, Zev Wolfs, philanthropist, Zev Wolfson, uh, Stephen Klein, Ernst Bodenheimer. I even once spoke to Marvin Heyer of the Simon Wiesenthal Center. He told me that he used to drive Reb Aaron Cutler to RJJ once or twice a year. Reb Aaron would give a shear there and Marvin Heyer was his driver. So he told me that he was influenced by him. There's many, many more. Um, so it, it's interesting that some of these activists went to, after Baron Cutler's passing, they went to Moshe Feinstein and asked him to be their guide. I'm not sure which ones from that list it was. Maybe it was only one or two. I don't know. But some of them or one of them. And and uh, and they and they asked him to be their guide. And Moshe said to them, I'm happy to answer your questions. And if you have anything that you want to seek advice, you're more than welcome. My door is open. But if you're expecting me to be like Rabaran Cutler was to you, then you got the wrong uh, wrong address. Rabaran was unique. Rabaran, he wasn't someone that, you, that the activists would come and ask advice from. Rabaran was the one who initiated the activism, who spearheaded the projects and who goaded others into activity as well, who pushed them, who called them up, who didn't let them sleep, who mentored them in communal responsibility and activism. He was the one who was out there and 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 the go-getter. It was unbelievable and actually is, is, is amazing that he was unique in that uh, style. Um, but the, like I said, um, with this, that was that was last year's topic, and we'll go to his early years. So it's interesting. My wife's grandfather had uh, learned uh, in the Rabaran Yeshiva in, in in Europe before the war. It wasn't in Kletsk. It was already when the war began, and the Yeshiva was in Salok and had, had fled from from uh, uh, Soviet-controlled Poland to eastern Poland uh, in the beginning of the war, and to Lithuania, like many of the other yeshivas, it was in Salak. So he 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 studied by Reb Aaron in uh, for about a about a year during that time. So when he passed away, my wife's grandfather passed away. So I arranged he had, he would, was in the mir in Shanghai. So I arranged for his levaya to be in front of the mir yeshiva, and the signs stated that he was in the mir yeshiva in Shanghai, and he was also a Talmud of Reb Aaron Cutler from before the war. So I noticed, uh, you know, an acquaintance by the 
by the funeral, and I asked him, did you know my wife's grandfather? What are you doing here? He says, no, but I saw on the sign that he was a Talmud of Rabaran Cutler. So I said, you know, you saw on the sign he was also in the mirror in Shanghai. That's also a good reason to show up, no? So he said, nah, I wouldn't have come just for that, but he was a Talmud of Rabaran. So I was like, wow, I got to come to this Leviah. And then he says to me, so he, he was your wife's grandfather, so was he a Rosh Hashiva? He was a Talmud of Rabaran. So I said, no, he owned a store on the Lower East Side. So, you know, he was you know, quite surprised. And that's it's a, an, an image that uh, of the legacy of, of Rabaran Cutler that uh, is in the mind of many, the influence that he has, the impact that someone who's a Talmud of Rabaran, that's, 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 that's the ultimate uh, title of respect and and the automatic assumption is that he was a Rosh Hashiva. Um, so that's, that says a lot about Rabaran and his leadership, and it, therefore it behooves us to examine his life and his history and his place in history. Which brings me to the next point, is that what's fascinating is that someone with such an influence and such a builder does not have a proper comprehensive biography. There's the Aaron Sarasky biography in Hebrew, um, Alter Pecker, another student of Rabaran from Kletsk, he wrote a rather concise, but it's a pretty well done, but not not a really full uh, biography. But it's, that's another one. Then there's another one that's not really about Rabaran Cutler, but it's more about the legacy of of Rabaran Cutler or the alleged legacy of Rabaran Cutler. And there's others who have. There's different profiles on him. That have been written more recently, but they're essays or articles or profiles, not really, shockingly, there's not a full comprehensive, not even an art scroll biography. And it's truly surprising and really needed. Um, speaking of legacies of Rabar and Cutler, one of the lesser known ones is that there's an entire neighborhood in B'nai Brak called Ramat Aharon, named after Rabar and Cutler. That's just, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> another tidbit. So Reb Aaron uh, is born into a very prestigious rabbinic family, um, orphaned at a young age. His father was Reb Shneir Zalman Pinnis. Reb Aaron Cutler wasn't Reb Cutler. He was, uh, he was, his name was Reb Aaron Pinnis until uh, much later on. He, uh, um, he, he, in order to avoid the czarist draft, he changed his name, which was quite common in Russia for Jews to do in Russia. Um, so he came from uh, from the, this very well known rabbinic family, the Pinnis family, who had been uh, um, rabbis in Minsk. Um, two of his ancestors were rabbis in Minsk. Another one of his ancestors was a r- rabbi in Slutsk. And ironically, Rabarin would go on to study in yeshivas in Minsk, and he would become a rebbe in Slutsk. So he had a you know an ancestral. Uh, connections in both places. Um, his father, his mother passed away when he was three years old. His father passed away when he was 11. So when he's a child. He's already an orphan. He eventually lived by his uncle, a Dayan in Minsk, or Yitzchak Pinnis. Um, but um, his older siblings had pretty much all strayed away from from traditional Judaism, from Yiddishkeit at that, po- at that point. Uh, so to save him, he was sent to Krinik, to uh, to the yeshiva of Reb Zalman Sender Kahana Shapiro. After Reb Zalman Sender left the yeshiva in Malch, and Reb Shimon took over, Reb Shkup took over that yeshiva in Malch. So Reb Zalman Sender opened the yeshiva in Krinik. 
And that's where Reb Aaron Cutler first uh, studied. Reb Aaron's father, Shneir Zalman Penis, was the Rav in Svislach in, in Russian. In Yiddish, the Jews called it Sislevich. And he himself, Reb Shneir Zalman, had studied at the Volozhin Yeshiva. So it was a, you know, a, came from a very, very prestigious family. And from Krinik, um, Reb Aaron went on to Minsk where he studied at the Katsavish Shul, and that's how he got to become friends with Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, and he got to know Ruven Grzovsky there as well. Um, and he went back and forth to Minsk a couple of times. He went from Minsk to studying Slabatka in the other yeshiva in Slabatka, to the Knesset Beis Yitzchak yeshiva in Slabatka, of where Baruch Ber Leibovich was the yeshiva. He was there for half a year. Then he went back to Minsk, and then he went back to Slabatka, this time to the Knesset Yisrael, Yeshiva of the the Musar Yeshiva of the altar of Slabatka. There are two parallel yeshivas in Slabatka at the time, which I uh, referenced in several other episodes about Slabatka, about the altar, about uh, all kinds of uh, uh, related topics. So, like I said, he was in the Katsavish, which is like the butcher's shul. It was a kibbutz a yeshiva, and he befriended Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who's by that time, and even though Rabbi Yaakov uh, grew up in Dolhinov, a small village, uh, but um, at that time his parents had already moved to Minsk, so Reb Aaron, who was an orphan, he would go over to uh, Reb Yaakov's house for meals, and sometimes they would play chess together. Reb Aaron was a very intensive uh, chess player who took the games very seriously, um, intense in everything that he ever did, so it came you know, as part of his, his life. Um, it was at this time during his youth that Reb Aaron uh, enjoyed like many other youth at the time, and like I said, all his siblings had already completely strayed from uh, Yiddishkeit, and um, you know, many, especially in a city like Minsk, this was quite common for the, among the Jewish youth. Urbaran enjoyed reading Russian literature, and especially Alexander Pushkin, the famous Russian author, who absolutely all Jews liked him. Uh, it was almost said in Russia that a Jewish home had to have Pushkin. And interestingly, in the context of Jewish history soundbites, Reb Aaron had a love and a great knowledge of Jewish history. And sometimes in his later years, when he would speak to donors or to speak to Balabatim in general, he would, he would, he would uh, spew forth with a, a tremendous knowledge of Jewish history and the importance of knowing it. Very interesting that uh, he had that side to him uh, as well. Um, so, so he comes to Slabatka. I remember hearing once when I was in the Mirishiva, so the Rishiva of Nassim Svi Finkel, he quoted his namesake, his great-grandfather namesake, the altar of Slabatka, as saying that uh, Rabbi Yenison Ibeshitz had a yeshiva. He had 400 students in his yeshiva, and Rabbi Yenison Ibeshitz would say that of those 400, there are 40 who are, who are extra special, unique. And the whole 400 is worth it for the 40, who are the Mitsuyanim, who are the top. And the altar of Slabatka would quote that and say, in my yeshiva and Slabatka, I also have, uh, I don't know if he had 400, he has he had quite a few, two, three hundred, and there's 40 that are Mitsuyanim, that they're the top and the best. And he said, but there's one Mitsuyan Shebe Mitsuyanim, there's one who stands head and shoulders above everyone else, and that's Reb Aaron Cutler, um, or as he was known then as Arlis Slevitzer. Um, and the... the there was the top students of the Slabatki Yeshiva, the top in, in learning, and there was also the top students of the Slavatki Yeshiva who were the close students of the altar in Musser. 
And it's really two different lists. Uh, some people were on both, you know, people like Rabaran, Kotler, and Rabiaka Kavnetsky. Some were more known as the Musser Talmudim of the altar, like uh, Rameir Chodash and Rav Grzynski, uh, a few others. And st- some were not so much Talmudim of the altar of Slavazka, but they were, you know, very, very, you know, uh, 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 from the best in, in the learning and they, they gained their reputation because Slabatka was the best of both. It was the best in Musa, the best in learning, and uh, a very unique place. And, and, and uh, uh, um, you know, Rabaran is there during the golden age of the Slabatka yeshiva. He's there during the, the decade uh, before World War I when it reached its peak. And talking about Ruven Grzewski was there, Abchatsko Sarno was there, um, Rebekah Kamenetsky. Rabbi Chilak of Weinberg had just left right before that. He was there. Um, there was, uh, you know, uh, right before World War One, Ruderman came and Rabbi Meir Chadash, and uh, it was just a place where Rabbi Grzynski, of course, was was there. The, the the people who were to play such a future role in in the Torah world were all there in Slabatka during its golden age and during the time that Rabbi was there. When Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky and Rabbi both arrived together by train from Minsk to get their entrance exam into Slabatka, so Rabbi Shemotcha Epstein, the Rosh Hashiva, he asked them to give a, to, to their, their entrance exam was to refute a, 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 a piece of Ktsais Hachoshen, which was a Yeshiva classic commentary. And their reactions were very telling of, of who they were. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was shocked, he was horrified. He said that in Minsk, in the yeshivas in Minsk, in Blumka's Kloys, and in the other, Shlemigolovensis' yeshiva, all the yeshivas that he had attended in Minsk, they, they were taught that the Ktsay Sachoshen is, is holy. We don't, we, what he ever, what he says is gospel. How can we refute or argue on the Ktsay Sachoshen? Rab Aaron, with his incisive and brilliant mind and his personality, he says to the Rosh Hashiva Mashamatcha, Okay, tell me which piece it is. Let's go ahead. I'll I'll slug it up. I'll I'll ask. I'll refute it. I'll argue on it. No problem. And uh, that's that was by the Rosh Hashiva. But when they w- went into the altar, the altar played hard to get, which was a educational uh, style that re- that the altar occasionally did with different students or potential students. So he said, "I'm not sure if we have room. It might be too crowded. We might not be able to receive you." And so Aaron. Uh, who they came all the way from Minsk? He was disappointed, so he says uh, when they got back to their room, there was a senior student of Slabatka who was their roommate. So Rabaran says out loud, very loudly to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, he says, "No problem. The altar didn't accept us. We'll go to the other Slabatki yeshiva, the non-Muslim Slabatki yeshiva of Rabarach Ber." And immediately the altar called them back in and accepted them into the yeshiva. Um, but what Aaron attended all of Rabbarach Bar Shiurim, which was common for the yeshiva, the you know the the uh, the Knesset Yisrael students would go to the other yeshiva and to hear Rabbarach Bar's famous Shiurim. And uh, Rabbarach, one time they they locked the door to not allow outsiders in, so Rabbarach climbed in through a window. Um, and the Rabaran got close with everyone. He was close to the Baruch Ber. He was, of course, very close to the altar. The altar would actually have Rabaran give them the distinctive privilege of being his guest for Shabbos meals quite often, which most uh, students at the yeshiva did not uh, get. So he would very often be by the altar for Shabbos. 
Um, Rabbi Aaron was one of the only ones in the yeshiva who would argue and question uh, during Rabbi Shemadcha Epstein's uh, shear, daily shear. Rabbi Aaron would, would, uh, which was accepted to to interrupt with. Uh, he had a good question. He was one of the ones who did it. He was definitely unique and and brilliant uh, among the Slabatka students at the time. And because Slabatka was a suburb of Kovna, so there was very often, which is you know a major city. So very often there's great rabbis who would be visiting, who would be on uh, communal issues or passing through, and they would deliver a shear once they were in Kavna, and all these Slabatka students from both yeshivas would go ahead and be excited to participate in the shear of some of the great leading Torah scholars of its day. So one of them was the Telzer Rosh Yeshiva, a Blazer Gordon, and Rabaran asked and interrupted in his shear as well with a question. And Rablazer Gordon, who was a very fiery individual, he yelled at him, and as he did to Shleima Hyman, who, who was from the other Slavatki Shiva, and he also interrupted that same shear of Reb Lazer Gordon. And, uh, and, and, and Reb Aaron would later in his life do the same thing to those who interrupted him in his shear. He would yell at them in the, in the fiery uh, way of the way Torah discourse is carried out. Um, he would do that to his own Talmudim. So it was kind of scary interrupting him. Reb Chaim Brisker came and delivered a shear. Reb Aaron uh, attended. Reb David Karliner, Reb David L. Friedman, the Rav in Karlin, who was also one of the most respected Torah leaders of his time. And during this time, Reb Aaron was still um, in contact, or you know, officially in contact with his family members and his siblings. Like I mentioned, especially his older sister Malka, would try was trying to convince him to leave the yeshiva world. To she was, you know, a, a negative influence on his Torah studies and his future Torah career, and she felt that he had a lot of potential outside the yeshiva. So she would send him letters. And in fact, the Alter Slabatka, who he was wont to do this with, he's known to have done this to other with other students as well. He 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 uh, censored his mail. He blocked all the letters from Rabaran's sister uh, to make sure that this uh, this adverse influence on his, the potential that he had of his future in Torah study would not uh, cause him to leave the yeshiva if he would be in regular contact with his sister and her uh, entreaties to get him to leave Slabatka. Um, so um, at a relatively young age at the time, um, at the age of 22, uh, Rabbi Aaron is gets married. In those days in Slabatka, they're mid-20s, sometimes even late 20s or even beyond, and and in uh, here, surprisingly, Reb Aaron gets married quite young, and the reason was because Reb Zalman Meltzer, his prospective father-in-law, had heard about him. Reb Zalman, of course, had previously been the Rosh Hashiva in Slavatka and was sent by the altar to open a quasi-Slavatka branch in Slutsk. And so Reb Zalman had heard about him and wanted him uh, for his daughter, Chana Peril, who eventually becomes the Rebetzin Chana Peril, and that became... A, a uh, an important uh, addition to Reb Aaron's life is his marriage to Rebbe Sinchana Peril and to become the son-in-law of Rebbe Zalman Meltzer. And uh, it's interesting, uh, I heard once from Reb Aaron, one of Reb Aaron's uh, grandchildren, who who one of the one of the Schwartz, Schwartzman grandchildren. So after Reb Dave Schwartzman divorced Reb Aaron's daughter, so the young grandchildren somewhat grew up in Rabaran's house. So they got this, uh, you know, exposure to actually living and being brought up, raised 
amazing privilege to be raised by their grandfather, Rabarin. So one of them uh, related to me that uh, he remembers um, his grandfather was uh, had to call someone for some reason, fundraising, or I don't know, whatever it was, some communal issue, and he was trying to remember his phone, the phone number, and he was struggling to remember it. And finally, he blurted it out, he remembered it, and he got excited that he remembered the phone number. And his Rebetzin, who was in the room, Rebetzin Chana Peril, she said, oh, such a brilliant mind, and it's wasted on remembering phone numbers. That's what she criticized. I guess she was the only one in the world who could actually criticize her Baron. And, uh, you know, I guess we all follow the advice of Rebetzin Chana Peril today because not a single person in the world today knows any phone numbers by heart. Um, even though, you know, at least me, I'm not a brilliant mind uh, wasting it on it, but, uh, you know, remembering phone numbers is a thing of the past. But either way, what's interesting about Rabaran is that he becomes the Rosh Hashiva of Kletsk when he's 30 years old. He, he's appointed right when he's married, when they're still in Slutsk. Before World War One. he's appointed a Rebbe in Slutsk. Go through World War One. Revolution, communist takeover, and eventually because of the Soviets, uh, harassment, uh, religious institutions. So the Rabban takes a faction of the yeshiva, Mr. Zalman stays in Slutsk for another few years with another faction of the yeshiva, where Rabban crosses the border into Poland, into independent Poland, and they open a new yeshiva, which is essentially a branch or, or, you know, a continuation of the Slutsk Yeshiva in Klesk, but Rebbe Zalman stayed in the Soviet Union for the meantime. He came a couple of years later, rejoined. But this is Rebbe Aaron's Yeshiva. And he becomes a Rosh Yeshiva of a major Yeshiva in Poland when he's 30 years old. And when Rebbe Zalman, a couple of years later, leaves for Eretz Yisrael, Rebbe Aaron is only 32, 33 years old. And he's a full-blown Rosh Yeshiva. And it's, uh, everything he did, he did it when he was young, he he became you know very big very quickly when he was young. Um, it's interesting, Rav Shach, who remembered Rav Aaron Kotler both in Slabatka when they studied uh, at the same time. Also, Rav Shach was there in that golden age, and also they were rebbeim together in Kletz. Rav Shach had married Rav Zalman Meltzer's niece and was also hired as a rebbe in the yeshiva. So he related that Rav Aaron was shy by nature. Incredibly enough, someone with Rav Aaron's personality. And he even said, Rav Shach said that he saw this with his own eyes, that if someone unfamiliar walked into his shear in the middle, he would get all flustered and nervous because it was someone who he didn't know, and his, his shyness would kick in. So Rav Shach was pointing that out to say that he overcame his natural shyness to be that dynamic, charismatic leader that he was to become. And we'll continue uh, with this in the next episode of part two about Rabaran, about his Kletsk years and his arrival in the United States. So this was uh, Jew- Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, uh, sponsorships, tours, lectures, and everything else. Uh, don't forget to uh, check out the 20-Minute Daf, uh, 20MinuteDaf.com. And you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on uh, Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.